Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kirk Facey. I'm a cytologist at New York Presbyterian Hospital and chair of the ASC Bulletin and Cytopath Pod Editorial Board. Today, I am so grateful um, to have this conversation and with us our guest today, Dr. Lee, uh, who is a cytopathologist at Massachusetts General Hospital. In honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, we wanted to um, put together a conversation uh, with one of our prominent uh, breast pathologists within our community and industry uh, to be able to showcase uh, the amazing work and advances um, on behalf of our colleagues. Good morning, Dr. Lee. Good morning, Kirk. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here with us. To begin, Dr. Lee, in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, thank you for being here with us. Please talk about what inspired you to pursue your work in medicine, cytopathology, and particularly breast pathology. So my career interest in cytopathology began during residency when I first performed a minimally invasive FNA on a patient using a very thin needle and then rendered a diagnosis within just a few minutes. This rapid turnaround time with high diagnostic accuracy really con convinced me this was a high impact technique and it should be used as much as possible. Breast pathology in particular was appealing because the patients were so engaged in their breast cancer care. They would read a lot, ask a lot of questions. They did their own PubMed searches and brought those questions to their office visits. And it was an impressive experience having these conversations with patients in a way that was above and beyond my usual clinical work as a pathologist. And I really appreciated that. Incredible. We know that medicine have made tremendous advances in breast cancer diagnosis and treatment over the past century, moving away from radical mastectomy to more conservative surgery combined with adjunct radiation therapy. Particularly, please talk about your work and your passion in this particular realm of adjunct radio radiotherapy and how the contributions of cytopathology influences the revolution in science and patient care. Well, as we know, in 1882, Halstead performed the first radical mastectomy, and this majorly invasive surgery would be the standard of care for about 50 years. Breast needle biopsies by FNA and CORE began making their appearances decades later in the mid 1900s. And nowadays, small biopsies are the gold standard. So, as the medical field has learned more about subclassifying various tumor types, the amount of tissue we need to diagnose and treat patients accurately has 
become much, much smaller. And this has really benefited patients who can now avoid unnecessarily large surgeries. Surgery, no matter how routine, is physically traumatic and it comes with significant risks. And we should always be trying to use the least invasive method first to diagnose and characterize tumors. And I feel cytopathology with FNA has made leaps and strides in allowing patients to have a comfortable experience in their diagnostic process. And, you know, this shed lights on the important uh, role of the pathologist, the cytopathologist, uh, in being able um, to combine efforts more uh, with clinicians and certainly the research community. So, you know, that, that puts the spotlight on the importance and the expanding role of the pathologist. We've seen the evolution of oncologic pathology from a strict diagnostic service to a more sophisticated service. Dr. Lee, that includes staging, molecular studies, and tumor classification, all of which directly guides patient therapy. Please talk about that expanding role of the pathologist and what this means for the future. Sure. So oncologic pathologists, as we know, are responsible for correctly identifying the presence of malignancy and then accurately subtyping the primary tumor and any metastases. For many years now, breast pathologists have routinely evaluated breast cancer tissues for expression of ER, PR, and HER2 proteins, in addition to classifying them based on morphology. And this for a long time guided the drug regimens that patients are offered. Now we're seeing newer predictive and prognostic biomarkers becoming recognized and validated. And pathologists have to incorporate these new ones into their diagnostic algorithms. For example, a newer targeted therapy against HER2 was just approved a couple months ago to treat low HER2 expressing breast cancers. Molecular testing is now routine for breast cancers to identify patients who would be eligible for PARP inhibitors if they have BRCA mutations. And key 67 and stromal tumor infiltrating lymphocytes are also now useful as predictive and prognostic biomarkers. These all underscore the importance of pathologists' work in their assessment of breast cancers, and they're really central to clinical decision-making. Absolutely, it is. And, and, and that, that has been an expanding role and continues to be an expanding role. Um, and continuing in that theme, um, in one of your research papers, breast fine needle aspiration continues to be relevant in a large academic medical center experience from Massachusetts General Hospital. Your team examines that particular value of breast fine needle aspiration exactly for its diagnostic accuracy, as well as breast cancer biomarker utility. Talk about your work uh, in this particular research paper, its findings on improving efficacy and health outcome for our patients. So at MGH, we have a pathologist-run FNA clinic. And in this study, we reviewed the FNA samples we obtained from patients during their routine clinical visits for evaluation of breast lesions at our hospital. 
we found that not only was FNA extremely accurate for characterizing whether these breast lesions were malignant, but also that the tumor samples we obtained were sufficient and highly accurate for ERPR and HER2 testing by human histochemistry and FISH. Being able to diagnose and characterize breast cancers using minimally invasive sampling techniques can help patients avoid larger core needle biopsies that are associated with more morbidity, pain, and complications. Yes, and in, in terms of um, making um, a prediction or sort of an outlook for the future, um, do you anticipate that we will continue to see more and more uh, utility of fine needle aspiration, particularly for breast cancer? Well, unfortunately, in the United States, fine needle aspiration for breast cancers has been uh, waning over the past years. However, there is still very strong utilization of this technique elsewhere in the world, such as Europe and other continents. So I think that there is recognition that there is massive utility for this uh, particular small sampling technique. And you know, you concluded that in one of your research papers, Dr. Lee, fine needle aspiration biopsy of palpable breast masses, patterns of clinical use and patient experience, where your team concludes, quote, in light of healthcare goals for practice improvement and cost containment, breast FNA biopsy may be an underused resource. And I think, as you say, certainly in terms of uh, the global uh, scale and its global utility, uh, we certainly see uh, value um, there. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Lee. In, in addressing another one of your research papers, development of training materials for pathologists to provide machine validation, learning validation data of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes in breast cancer. Your work revolves around developing a, a quote unquote, a data set of stromal tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, density evaluation in hematoxylin and eosin stained invasive breast cancer specimen fit for a regulatory purpose. Talk about the purpose, findings, and utility of uh, this appears to be a complex study uh, and very interesting. Please talk about that. Sure, yeah. Uh, the density of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, or TILs for short, in breast cancer is now recognized as a prognostic biomarker. And there are several international oncology groups endorsing that pathologists assess and document till density in our pathology reports. Our group is currently working to create an AI algorithm that can calculate the till density off of digitally scanned H&E slides of breast cancer, which could ease the workload burden on pathologists. However, we found that there can be quite significant variation between pathologists when it comes to actually calculating the till density. And this is problematic when you're building an algorithm where the gold standard numbers you're aiming to match are not themselves very tightly clustered. So in working to solve one problem, we actually identified another problem. 
and we ended up creating a CME course offered through the FDA for pathologists to learn till scoring in breast cancer. And this will hopefully help pathologists who have to perform this particular task to get better at it. Incredible. And Dr. Lee, I think that's um, the sort of the theme of um, the subject is the expanding and evolutionary role of the cytopathologists in uh, taking on a greater and greater role um, in health outcome for our patients. Thank you so much. Now, um, to step into the realm of people experience and our patients, we know that a diagnosis of breast cancer uh, is life-altering and traumatic for patients. Dr. Lee, what is your philosophy and your approach regarding talking to patients about a malignant diagnosis in an FNA clinic setting? And are there unique opportunities for the FNA pathologists in this setting and realm? Absolutely. First of all, each patient situation is unique and we all know that. And my approach is to make sure that I give each person in the room, including family members that might be present with patients, each of them time and space to take in the information I'm giving them. So I typically do offer to discuss their breast FNA diagnosis based on the rapid evaluation while I'm in clinic with them. Not all patients take me up on that, but the ones who do, I make sure to communicate clearly and slowly. I also want them to know that I'm in direct communication with the other members of their care team. So there is a whole network of people working together to take care of them and that they're not alone. I've also received phone calls from patients after their biopsies with me who want more clarification to understand the pathology aspects of their care. I've met with breast cancer patients at my microscope and reviewed their pathology glass slides together and answered all of their questions. Pathologists have a good opportunity to educate patients about the central role that pathologists play in their care. And since most pathologists are not directly interacting with patients, I feel particularly blessed to be able to do that in FNA clinic on a regular basis. It also eases a lot of patient anxiety. You know, breast cancer patients, they, they have a lot of anxiety and they start um, having stress and fear from the moment a doctor tells them that they need a breast biopsy. And the anxiety can actually begin even before that if they're the ones who detected a breast lump that they brought to the attention of a doctor. So as an FNA cytopathologist, I'm able to give them a diagnosis within minutes of taking an FNA sample from them in clinic. And I've had many patients thank me profusely for being able to just answer their questions and give them a, diagno a diagnosis right in clinic, as opposed to having a core biopsy and then waiting several days, maybe a week before they get any sort of information. And I want to add also that I have residents and fellows who come with me and take these samples from our FNA patients. So this is all part of a process training the next generation how to handle an interventional role that cytopathologists can have. 
My breast surgeon colleagues are also really appreciative of my ability to inform patients of a breast cancer diagnosis. And I might be the first one who's doing that for the patient. My colleagues say that it actually helps them because once I share that serious diagnosis with a patient, patients often need some period of time just to absorb and process this news before they can really engage in a conversation about treatment planning. So if I'm the one who initiates that conversation about breast cancer diagnosis in the FMA clinic, I give patients that time they need to start processing this new diagnosis. So by the time they make it back to the surgeon's office, they're past the initial stages of shock and surprise and sadness, and they're much more ready to talk about what happens next and to really hear what surgeons are trying to tell them. Amazing. That is that is such an important point, and um, it, it really does uh, play uh, a role um, in helping uh, patients, especially um, when dealing with a first-time diagnosis. I think as cytopathologists and cytologists typically behind the scenes with minimal patient engagement, um, sometimes we um, take for granted um, uh, that the specimen, um, really behind the specimen are uh, real people, um, our, our mothers and uh, sisters and our, our friends and loved ones. And, um, and as someone who has had uh, two women in my family uh, who have been impacted by breast cancer and have been there as a cytologist and a family member um, by their side um, uh, to play uh, any particular role I could, I really appreciate, uh, Dr. Lee, this particular philosophy and approach that you've taken um, to your patients. Thank you so much. Um, I think that is a standard. And um, as, uh, again, a family member of someone um, who has been impacted by breast cancer, I am grateful uh, for that particular philosophy and approach. Thank you. Dr. Lee, in your experience um, during the COVID pandemic, um, how has this impacted breast oncology services and patient care um, with the shifting of resources, focus and attention from breast oncology or surgery uh, to COVID and the pandemic? Well, like most places, access to healthcare at our site was severely limited with the primary focus placed on providing care to patients who were acutely ill or who had aggressive disease. However, the ultimate goal for breast cancer patients during the pandemic was still to achieve cure. With limited capacity in the hospital, we had to reprioritize patients in terms of who gets surgery first and who is allowed to come on site for radiation therapy. Also, sometimes the order in which specific therapies were given changed. For example, many breast cancer patients were given neoadjuvant chemotherapy and or hormonal therapy while they were waiting at home for the operating rooms and radiation therapy suites to reopen. Patients were also very anxious about whether they were even receiving adequate breast cancer care with all these deviations from standard protocols. Fortunately, I think we were able to pivot pretty quickly and 
be responsive to a continually evolving situation. I think it really helped that we have a multidisciplinary breast tumor board meeting every single day of the week where we would talk about these challenges and ask our colleagues what the best course of action should be for each particular patient. And that's so important as we deal with um, one crisis or public health challenge uh, to still be able to simultaneously um, provide uh, these vital services um, to our patients. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee. In talking about the pandemic, how has the pandemic impacted you, your life? Uh, what have you seen during this time? Um, what are you learning and what are your hopes for the future? As is the case for many pathologists, digital pathology became a normal routine part of my daily workflow. And it has enabled me and many others to work from home for at least some of the time, which allowed us to be present and care for any family members who are also stuck at home, uh, particularly parents of young children, I think enjoyed being able to do that. I think we all saw that we are capable of doing more than we think we can, but also that it's really important to recharge ourselves to be able to sustain these intense levels of work, which became a daily task. And burnout is on everyone's mind. Moving forward, I hope we keep working to remember that we find joy in our work and how how we can continue to remember that value and meaning that work brings us. Yes, that is so important, Dr. Lee. Um, you know, uh, we have all uh, been in the midst of all of these challenges. And one thing that you just said that resonates with me is finding that joy, that purpose, that meaning in our work. And uh, that's certainly a transformation that I have gone through and continue uh, to go through. And I think it gives new meaning, a uh, new purpose um, to the work. So thank you so much for that. Um, Dr. Lee, what is it do you believe that the general public in this moment should know about breast health, breast cancer education, genetic testing, advancement in treatment? Where is the future of breast health? What have we accomplished? And um, what should the general public um, know about that work? Well, we have amassed a huge amount of data and it's in detection as well as treatment of breast cancer. And uh, there's, there would be so much to list in terms of what we've achieved, but I think what the general public should take away is that breast cancers are be, being detected earlier. Patients with breast cancer are, being, are living longer and longer, and we're developing new avenues for treatment and monitoring treatment in real time as we speak. And there is a huge interest from the medical community an investment to curing this disease. Absolutely. This is a testament, um, Dr. Lee, to the hard work um, of members of our community like yourself. 
um, visionaries, uh, leaders who pushes the boundary uh, constantly and challenges what is possible and what we can accomplish. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee. To close this off, I would like to tap into a personal realm with you. Dr. Lee, who and what encourages you and has encouraged you thus far? What shows you the way? How do you tap into your own resiliency and hope for the future? Well, I like to remember to take things one step at a time. There's so much to do. There's a lot that I want to do. And some days it is really easy to start feeling impatient or overwhelmed. Having a circle of people that I really deeply trust around me is so important. And then supporting other people I see who are struggling is also really meaningful because we all have our struggles. And if there's days when I struggle and I need help and then other days when someone else is struggling and I can help them. So being able to just be there for others and to have others help me along the way makes this journey possible and meaningful. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee. On behalf of the American Society of Cytopathology Bulletin and Cytopath Pod Editorial Board, I am so grateful to have you with us today. And I'm thankful uh, for the incredible work uh, that you have done and continue to do on behalf of our patients and our community. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for being here with us today and joining us for this special Breast Cancer Awareness podcast uh, series. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kirk. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cytopath Pod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at ASC at cytopathology.org. Welcome to Hologic's Digital Cytology Education website, a free resource that enables cytologists, pathologists, and educators alike to review digital cytology cases, refining their digital diagnostic skills to improve patient care. And for courses successfully completed, continuing education credits are easily accessible. Follow the cells and make a diagnosis beyond the glass at digitalcytologyeducation.com.